Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Morning, church family. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together, isn't it? Hey, real quick before we jump in, we're going to close out week five of our teaching series together, Controversial Jesus. I want to bring staff on stage. I want to bring all staff, all staff, if you are a staff member on stage, or not on stage, if you are a staff member, come up here for a moment. Come on. I know some are doing other duties right now, so that's why they are not up here. Um, I want to say this for the people. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Uh, I want to say this for, uh, not for, ah, good job, you made it this service, good job. Um, is, is this, uh, it's not for my sake. I want to say this because the Bible's very clear where honor should be given. It is. And, uh, you know, in this month, October is known in the church world as Pastor Appreciation Month. I want to say this, though. I think it just should be titled Ministry Appreciation Month. This, this staff, this team behind me, I love doing life with them. I love uh, being able to do ministry with them. And they do a ton of things around here to help build up the body and reach the community for Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do in this moment is I just want to take a minute to honor the team behind me just to, as an appreciation to say, thank you for serving us and they serve us well. And so I just want to take a moment. Can we just thank this team and what they do for us? God, do it again. So thank you. All the prayers. Thank you. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Thank you, Christine. Real, real quick. You're muted. Hey, You're Steve. muted. Steve. I need some microphone here. No, you don't. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't. I might not be part of the team uh, <laughs> tomorrow. He had this. his mic in his hand. <laughs> I walked by, gave him a fist bump. I said, don't you dare. So I'm, t- I'm, <laughs> I'm technically disobeying a direct order, but... We would not be the team that we are without this guy right here. So, so he deserves the love and appreciation. Thank you. Thank you. All right, man. I I love I love our team. I, I said it in the previous service. Like I seriously want them to come over for Thanksgiving, and I, I love doing life with them, and they're fun. Um, we have a certain love language, like that right there. He just, Pastor Brandon just decided as he's going back out of here to sit on someone's lap. Like, that's who we are. The most random people, right? Um, our love language is sarcasm. Uh, we, we just have fun together, but uh, we love the Lord together. And that's what, so thank you for all that. Hey, uh, we're our last week together on Controversial Jesus. If you have your Bible, will you turn to First John chapter 2? First John chapter two, towards the very, very end of the New Testament, you have first John, second John, third John, then you have Jude and Revelation. So it's really easy to go back to the last book of the Bible in Revelation and then work your way back a few books to first John. That's where we'll be at today. And uh, while we wrap up our series together, I hope you've A, enjoyed the series, B, I hope it stretched you, and C, I hope it's really changed our attitudes and our love for people, our love for the people of God and the people that are outside the family of God that Lord willing someday will enter into the family of God. 
as you try to find First John uh, throughout this week, I've been, um, someone in the church has been texting me two to three times a week as encouragement and just praying for the series and praying for our body, praying for me. And uh, in it, she sent a text message and uh, I, I wrote back, I said, you are preaching, I'm totally going to steal this. And so this is what she says is this is what God is asking us to do as a church. And I'm like, this is exactly what the series was about. The series wasn't necessarily stand up on the stage with the microphone and say, your sinner is out there. It's no to look inside and say, where have we missed it? Where have we gotten our theology wrong and we've been more discipled by the world than the word? And how can we love people well that maybe we haven't loved well? And this is what she said. I think God's asking Radiant Life to do this, and I agree. It's to change our attitudes, not our standards. It's to love, but not be influenced. And you know what? That is truth. But sometimes that's really difficult to do at the same time. It's difficult to engage in other things and actually not be influenced in certain areas. Uh, If you're there at 1 John chapter 2, let me hear you say word. We get in the word, so the, and if you are not a believer this morning or today or watching online and you, this Christian thing, it's just not your thing. Don't worry. You're off the hook this morning. You are off the hook. I'm not, I'm not teaching you. I'm not preaching against you. What you're going to realize is this is the word of God into the standard that the word of God and the authors are acquiring and requiring of us. So I hope you as a non-believer get inside perspective as to what is the holiness of our calling as we call ourselves Christians, Christ-like or disciples of Jesus Christ. First John chapter two, and we're actually only gonna go through 17. It reads this way. Do not love the world or the things in the world. John is writing to Christians. Christians. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is of the world. And if the world with its lust, it's passing away, but the one who dwells in the will of God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. It's so interesting, again, to realize that who he's talking to, he's talking, if you will, to the insiders, to you and I. Obviously, there was an issue that John is dressing. Christians, you're loving the world. Don't do that. (laughs) Because John, I love John's letters. This is the author of the Gospel of John. Then he writes 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And he writes the book of Revelation. So we have five letters from this guy in our New Testament. Here's what's crazy about this guy too. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? If you know that, in his gospel, John, he tells us that. He's probably the youngest of all the disciples. And we know something about him. He's very, he must be really quick runner. Because he made it very clear that he outran Peter to the tomb. So there's some maybe athleticism about this guy, John. And he writes and he says, he's so just, it's there, which I love. You don't have to guess any of this. It's literally this. Christian, 
If you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. Ouch. This is one of those that I love because of how simple it is and it's just there and it goes, yeah, I I can't love the world. But at the same time, this is one, excuse me, that I look at and go, sometimes when I look in the mirror, I don't like this verse. Because it feels sometimes my flesh is going that way of the world. It feels sometimes that I do love the world sometimes. And here's what we know, Christian brother, sister in Christ, you know this, our world is broken. It's broken because of what happened in Genesis chapter three, the fall of humanity, the fall of everything goodness that God created. It was all there, perfect shalom, wholeness in the Garden of Eden. And because of sin, now the world is broken and shattered. And it's what you and I live into. You and I know what it's like. Everyone in this room know what it was like, or we knew what it was like to walk through late winter, early spring, in early summer 2020, we all went through it together and it felt chaotic from COVID to murder hornets. We forgot about those guys that came out during that time to worldwide shutdown and racism. And it was just like, what is happening? All in a short amount of time. And the cover of the Atlantic uh, Journal in the fall of 2020 wrote the title of it saying, how did it come to this? I mean, they're looking at it going, what happened? I mean, it really went quick and it went downhill real fast. And finally come the fall of 2020 when things start to reopen a little bit more and it feels like we're getting back to quote unquote, some sort of normalcy, whatever that meant. How did we get here? How did the world seem like it got flipped upside and everything got fast-tracked really quick? And we just have to know what we realize is we're just living in profound cultural decline. This, as Christians, I'm talking to insiders today. This, this, this teaching today may make you squirm, but I want to make you squirm because I love you as your pastor, as your brother in Christ. This statement should not shock Christians. Of course, we are living in, in profound cultural decline. Why? Because we live in a broken, sinful world. We know that. We know that. I look and read at the Bible and look and read at the Acts in the New Testament church. There was a distinction. The New Testament church drew a line with the world and culture of the Roman Empire as it was birthed. There was a clear distinction. It was a counter-cultural distinction. There was no influence of the world on the early church when it was birthed and what they did, and how they lived together, and how they actually had influence on the world, not to be influenced by the world, but influence on the world. There was a clear distinction in the ancient church, in the New Testament church that we saw. And I'm looking around the world today, and at Christians in America and stuff, and I'm going, my fear or my concern is that that division, that line in the middle is getting thinner and thinner. 
And we're allowing culture to creep into the world. And as soon as we allow cultural distinctives to form disciples, we will be part of the problem and not the solution. And I love what Rodney Stark says this about the New Testament church and this division between the church and the world. He reads, it reads this way in his article, Cross-Pressured Authenticity. Christianity revitalized life in the Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships, able to cope with many urgent urban problems. To cities filled with homelessness and in the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. It says when history tells us when Rome began to burn down, it was everyone fleeing Rome. But you know what the Christians did? Everyone fled Rome. The Christians fled into Rome to go save the people. See, the church made a difference in the ancient world. I'm asking the question, is the church making that same difference today? Jesus' most profound teaching is called the Sermon on the Mount. When he is there on the hillside preaching to the masses, his 12 disciples are there. It's a massive crowd and he preaches about the kingdom of God. And what it's like, and this is one of the most profound statements he has ever said found in Matthew 5, 6. And we must get this. This is Jesus's words. He says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what family? For righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Watch the promise for they will be filled. They will be filled. If you and I as listen to Jesus' life-transforming teachings, he says, if you and I hunger and thirst for God's righteousness in our lives, you and I on the other side will be filled. We must hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. We must be a people who says, I starve for the, for the life-giving righteousness and holiness of this God. That is what I do. But here's an issue. You and I uh, don't really know. Let me ask you a question. What comes to mind with the word righteousness? See, sometimes um, we, we have narrowed this term down to a Christian cliché. I mean, how many of you go around saying and using the term righteous or righteousness? If someone came up to you and said, how's your day going? Oh, righteously. Like, we we just don't say this word. But there is beauty to this word. And when we understand this word, that word there, righteousness, as Jesus is speaking in the Greek, it's this word right here. It's, it, uh, here's how to pronounce it. I had to write it down to say it right. Dekai sune. Dekai sune. Let me hear you say dekai sune. 
there you go. You spoke Greek today, right? Here's what it means. We translate dekai sune into righteousness. And here's the meaning. The state of being in proper relationship with God. The state of him who is as he ought to be. And the condition acceptable to God. Uh, Jesus says, hunger and thirst for that. And here has become the issue. Number one, we as the church have no idea what righteousness actually is. Or what we've done is we split the gospel in half. And we say, yes, the doctrine of righteousness is here upon the moment of salvation where you and I put our faith and trust into Jesus Christ. We are deemed in our theology and doctrine as righteousness now. You and I are made right with God because of Jesus Christ. We are in the state of I who as I ought to be. There is now a path of pursuing holiness in my life. And that is what we consider to be private righteousness. Here's half the gospel. We only preach that half. Because the other half is there's a public righteousness. Look at it. The condition acceptable to God. The state of him who is as he ought to be. Or the created thing is who the created thing ought to be. We live in a broken world because of Genesis chapter three and what Adam and Eve did in the garden, the pursuit of the desire of the eyes caused our world to be broken. And the other half of the gospel, yes, there's a private righteousness and holiness, but there is a public righteousness and holiness to put back the world as it was created to be what God has created the world to be. And we pursue both the private righteousness and the public righteousness. We pursue both. And here's what happens in our culture today. If you and I lack a deep awareness for righteousness, that we have no awareness because we don't even know what that word is. And you know what we say about that word? That's a churchy word, which is correct. But guess what you are? You're the church. So get to know the churchy words, church. (laughs) If you and I lack a deep awareness for righteousness, for you and I to be designed and created to be as God has designed us to be and the world to be created as God has designed it to be, the private and the public, if we lack the deep awareness, if you and I Lack this awareness. You and I will never hunger and thirst. If I have no awareness, why do I care? Because I don't know. And please, church, we cannot claim ignorance is bliss in this. We, the church, are here to equip you, to teach you, to train you, to equip you, to train up, to go out and reach this world and help the community of believers deepen their faith and walk with Christ. But if we lack the awareness, we will never hunger and thirst. And remember what the promise that Jesus says is? If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. And here's the issue. We're not fulfilled in our lives and the world around us. 
When those three fail to take place, as Jesus' teaching says, you and I will forever in this world live a cycle of decline. And we walk away going, what is messed up with the world? How about church? We become aware of a deep hunger and thirst for righteousness in our lives and in the public eyes. We need that. And then you go back to the cover of the Atlantic and go, how did it come to this? I'll tell you how part of it came to it. The church wasn't doing what the church ought to be doing. Uh, This series isn't, again, for us to shout out the world that their sin is wrong. It's to look inside the church and say, church, wake up. And we don't know the truth, so we're swayed by culture and say, oh, it must be right because culture says it's right. And we're swayed there. And then we don't know how to love people well who are out there and we're yelling sin in their life. And we don't actually know how to be the hands and feet of Jesus and have the compassion of Jesus out there. This whole series wasn't for out there, it was for us inside. We need a higher awareness for God's righteousness and holiness in our lives. And then it says you're going to be fulfilled. You will be fulfilled and my plan for the world will be fulfilled. The private and public. Biblical scholars and historians, Christian historians, have looked at this idea of renewal. What is it going to take for the church to renew itself. And in it, they look at the decline of Christianity and the decline of churches when we allow culture to sneak in. This is their five points that you can look up when they're trying to figure out how do we renew the church. These are the five points that says when we allow culture to sneak in, this is what happens. Here are the five on one slide for you. Number one, internal, that means us, the church body, internal spiritual losses suffered by the people of God. Revelation tells us that letter to the church in Ephesus says, I, you do all these good works and I love it, but I held this against you. You've lost your first love. You've lost it. This idea of internal spiritual losses suffered by the people of God, the church. We left our first love. We've left our priority of God being number one in our lives. And what has crept in as a result is lukewarmness of our faith has crept into our hearts. And now we have suffered the loss of intimacy and power of God within the church. Once that happens... We begin to have see the withdrawal of the spirit of God because now the spirit of God goes, that's not my people. And you have the withdrawal of the power of the spirit of God because we quench the spirit and the spirit no longer can work in the church because our, what we have done is we've quenched the move of the spirit of God. We've, we've deeply grieved the spirit of God. And as soon as we begin that, We have the ascendance of the flesh where now all of a sudden I'll do what I want to do because it's my desires, my lust after things and the flesh begins to rise. This is where we have authority issues. Don't tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do because I am king of self. Lean in. Lean in for a moment. Many of us want the king, but we don't want his kingdom. We want the kingdom, but we don't want the king. 
And that's the ascendance of the flesh. I want the king, save me, but I don't want your kingdom. Actually, I do. It's called when I die. Then I want the kingdom. I want nothing to do with you, Jesus, but I like the ideas of the kingdom of God. I want that, but I don't want you, Jesus. And then what happens in the church as we ascend the flesh and desire of self over everything, we have the conformity of the, to the world. We look more like the world than Jesus Christ does, or than, than we do of Jesus Christ. And then increasing denomination by the devil because we've lost our power. We've lost all of our effectiveness and witness to this world. I love what Dutch theologian Henry Van Til says. He says, culture is religion externalized. Think about this. If culture is religion externalized because the church should have influence on the world and culture. And if that is the case, and I think we would all agree that we need godly influence in the culture. We are not to love the things of the world. We are not to be of the world. We are called to be in the world as salt and light, to have godly influence. Here's the question. How well has the church done in recent years? How quickly is the profound decline of culture looking? And if that's the case, that's a reflection on the body of Christ. And here's what happens. When disciples look like the world, we'll have a sick church. And when disciples act like the world, we will have a powerless church. And when disciples believe like the world, we will have an unfaithful church. And the church is the body, the bride of Jesus Christ. It starts right here, family. It starts with private righteousness. And Job got it. Job 42, this is what Job says. He says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Referring, I've heard of you, God. And he says this, but now my eyes see you. And here's the result. I see God, therefore I despise myself. And here's the result of despising myself. I repent in dust and ashes. Now you and I don't repent in dust and ashes anymore. Thank God cultural change has happened there. But do you see Job's heart? I see your righteousness. And because I see it, I despise the sin that's within. And what will I do with that realization? I repent. Simon Peter saw it too when he had an encounter with Jesus in Luke 5, 8. He says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's need and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. Even Peter realized when I see the righteousness and holiness of God, I realize I don't like what's on the inside. And the idea is Peter sitting there going, I'm going to fall on my knees and worship you because you are holy and there's some stuff that's inside of me that's not. And Jesus even says this, oh, I love when Jesus grabs the scroll of Isaiah when he's in this Jewish synagogue, which is the Jewish church. And he reads Isaiah, then he sits down and he says, yeah, this has been fulfilled in your eyes. In other words, that was like a slap in the face. So what happened was he sat in the Moses seat and did this. 
So what you would do is you would go up and read a portion of a scroll, okay, to the whole crowd, to the church. You would hand the scroll away. The, the, the scribe would go over to the corner and put the scroll into a box and house it away. Then the reader would sit in a seat called the Moses seat, and he would sit in that seat and he would tell you all how he is living out that scripture that he read. That's why Jesus reads and picks Isaiah and then sits in the Moses seat and goes, yep, I'm the fulfillment of what you just heard. And here's the fulfillment. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus says, I'm the fulfillment. That is why I'm here, to set you free. I praise God for that. Because now in my life, I can seek holiness and righteousness. I can seek through the power of the spirit of God living inside of me who I'm supposed to be and who God has created me to be. In fact, I'm gonna call the church and I'm gonna say this right here today. This is our dekaiasune, dekaiasune moment in this cultural moment. I'm calling the church for a personal revival of holiness and a public holiness movement. That it starts with us to look inside. Is Am I seeking the things of God? Am I seeking the things of the world? And what am I doing about it out there today? That we need both. We need the private holiness and righteousness and we need the public holiness and righteousness. We need to meet people where they're at one-on-one -on -one and say, can I grab coffee? I want to tell you about this Jesus who has a better plan and a better life, way of life for you. I need to preach that to you, but we need to live in community with one another and go, hey, where are you struggling? Let me help you out. I want to, I want to put you back on the path of Jesus. But the idea is this is why we need community, biblical community. We need to have that family that's right there that you can call, you can text and say, hey, I need to meet up with you. I need to meet up with you. I need you to lay hands. Let's pray for me because I'm struggling. We need both. And unfortunately, we've been discipled more by the world than Christ. Isaiah, this is beautiful. Isaiah says, whoa, he sees God, by the way. This is his response. Look at, you're going to see private, public. Woe is me, for I am ruined. Private righteousness, because I'm a man of unclean lips. He saw what was inside. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he saw public righteousness. And I live among people of unclean lips. Do you see both? He says, uh-oh. We must hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. Turn to your neighbor and say, hunger and thirst. Turn to your other neighbor and say, starve for it. John Darby on this verse, he says this. He says, to be hungry is not enough. Watch this. He's using the parable of the, of the lost son. He says, watch this. To be hungry is not enough. I must really be starving to know what God, what is in God's heart towards me. Watch this. When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed on the husks with the pigs. But when he was starving, he turned to his father. Ooh. John Piper, pastor and theologian, he says this. Oh, this is a good quote. You need to take a picture of this. 
The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. The endless nibbling at the table of the world. You know why you and I, the church, talking to insiders, why the church doesn't seem effective, why the church seems stale, and why I believe this, this movement to a post-Christendom world is because we nibble right here. And we no longer just feast at God's table of righteousness and holiness. Now, allow me to let you squirm for four minutes. I do this because I love you. I don't do this because it's easy. I do it because I deeply care as your lead pastor. I deeply care about you. I deeply care about the bride of Christ. I deeply care about the will of God, seeing the kingdom heaven come here on earth as it is in heaven. Please squirm for four minutes and don't run. Please squirm and may you not hear from me condemnation. May you feel the Spirit's conviction because it's very clear condemnation is not from the Lord. Therefore, if it's not from the Lord, it's from the enemy of your soul. But sometimes we need to waken up and just say, please educate us. I'm gonna make a list. This is not an exhaustive list. I could just keep rattling on and on of ways Christians today nibble at the table of the world, at the table of culture. I love you enough to talk about this. Cannabis, weed and pot, alcohol, drunkenness and getting buzzed, premarital sex and cohabitation, the sovereignty of self. Who are you to tell me what to do? Politics as savior, abortion. We put an adjective before, I, before an identity. I'm a gay Christian. Where did the adjective ever come from? We're never told in scripture, that's not our identity. Why would we ever throw a, an adjective before our, our identity in Christ? Don't you ever do that. We are reborn again in the name of Jesus Christ. The old self is gone, the new is here. Oh, you know who I am? I'm a Christian. Yes, don't get me wrong. I may mess up sometimes. Ask my family and my kids. I mess up. But I don't put an adjective before my identity. And whoa, what happens is we adapt the beliefs of the cultural moment because we're not sure and we don't have that firm foundation of truth of who Jesus is. So we're easily swayed by culture and now it's just becoming okay. So is it okay then? I don't know. And we become swayed. I want to just take a moment. I want to take a moment. I love you. I do. I want to take a moment and talk cannabis. Buy this book if you're wrestling. Buy the book called, it's got a big pot leaf on the cover. You can't miss it. Okay. 
by the book, Cannabis and the Christian. That's what it's called, Cannabis and the Christian. It's like gray or white cover, big green pot leaf. Buy it. It's probably the leading researcher of our faith in the world of cannabis today. This idea of Christians smoking pot. I love you. It needs to stop. This idea of the issue is what we've allowed is here's why. We have a bad theology of cannabis. Because beforehand, you know what the church said? Well, guys, it's illegal. Therefore, it's illegal. Don't do it. And that was a very easy go-to. The issue becomes, well, now it's legal. So Christians can no longer stay over here and have the argument against it to say, well, it's illegal, so that's why you don't do it as a good law-abiding citizen. Don't do it. Pastor Ryan, it's legal. I hear often, well, Pastor Ryan, it's a natural plant. It's natural. Let me tell you two things that are also natural that you don't want in your body. Arsenic. Arsenic is a natural uh, chemical that exists in the soil and crust of the earth that get into our water supply. That's natural. So this idea of cannabis being a natural thing, okay, well, that's done. That's not an excuse anymore. Well, here's another natural thing. Poison ivy. I mean, you ain't rolling that stuff up and smoking it, right? You're not. And I realize there's, there's, there's a fine line. I mean, there's THC and CBD. Like, I get that. But there's oftentimes that the THC amount is increasingly getting stronger and stronger in the stuff today. Increasingly. What's interesting is Christians turn to cannabis for relief of stress and depression. I want to challenge that for a moment. Why do we turn to a substance instead of our savior for relief? I'm just saying, be careful. Well, I just smoke and it makes me feel better. Let me talk to you about smoke because smoke is getting into your lungs. That is not healthy for the temple and body of Christ. We have to realize this. And if there's true medicinal reasonings for cannabis, then let's start praying that the FDA get involved and do prescriptions as we, you and I get prescriptions instead of putting pot shops all over a city and saying that's the way to go. We need a deep theology. This is what I love. We need to be at the table of Christ and have, to have battling, not battling, that sounds awful, have loving conversations. Because listen, I know some of you in here smoke pot. Like I know you do. I know you do. And I'm here to love you as a brother that says, go to your savior before substance. Because here's what we do. We will go to the Savior, Jesus, and say a prayer. Relieve me of pain, depression, whatever that thing is. Please hear me. We'll go to him. And here's what happens. I prayed that nine minutes ago, and I still feel the sickness, the illness, the whatever. He didn't answer my prayer nine minutes ago. So I'll turn to the substance, whether it's cannabis or alcohol, to relieve me from that. 
So you want healing on your time, not God's time? I hear you. Listen, I go every eight weeks and get a stinking needle in my arm because I have ulcerative colitis, meaning my large intestine, my body thinks my large intestine is a foreign object, so it attacks itself. So every eight weeks, my wife and I go to Grand Rapids and I sit at my specialist with a needle in my hand for 30 minutes getting a chemotherapy drug. Every eight weeks I do this. Do I believe that does things in my body? I think God uses medicine to heal. Amen, he's given us wisdom. Because without that, I don't know what would happen to me. But I'm very cautious to look at like cannabis and alcohol and go, those are legitimately mind-altering drugs. They are. All research will tell you they are mind-altering. And the word of God says to be sober-minded and have self-control with the spirit of God. I want to sit at the table. Let's have healthy discussions around this idea. And then going on social media and posting this stuff, I praise God I got off social media a year ago. You know what I realized? I was scrolling way too much. Way, like, holy cow, Apple. Thanks for releasing how much screen time I had today. Now that is condemnation and conviction at the same time. But looking at that, this is why between the Savior, saying a prayer to the Savior and turning to substance, don't miss the middle which is being in a community of believers to help you through it, to help you through it. My mind is blown when people say, did you see so-and-so's post on Facebook about all the alcohol they're drinking or getting into machines that blow in pot and do hot boxes? And I'm like, and I read John, it says, if you love the world, the love of the father's not in you. And I go, what, what, what are we doing? What, what are we doing? Oh, I know exactly what we're doing. We're being mastered by an activity or substance which is denying the lordship of Jesus Christ. What I've done is, I've told Jesus, just save me, but don't be my master, my Lord. Because you know why? The middle one, self. The idol of self reigns today in culture, please hear this, and in the church. I'll do what I want to do. I'll do what I want to do. Who are you to tell me? I'm your loving pastor who loves you enough to say, let's have conversations. Just because something legal doesn't make it right. You and I would not argue. I'm going to ask you a question and we're going to move on. We're going to move on. Worship team, start making your way up. Let me ask you a question. Is technically adultery legal? Technically, you do it. But we know it messes with marriages and families. But it's legal. Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. To be mastered by an activity or substance is to deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. And here's what I love. I love John. First John, I am closing. 2,000 feet, we're above the airport right now. Here we go. Look at the early part of John chapter two. Look at what John says. He doesn't leave us in the dust. I love you guys. He says, this is how we know that we know him, Jesus. I love how, again, he's very forward. Hey guys, you know how you know you know Jesus? If we keep his commands, 
How do you know if someone knows Jesus? They keep the commands of Christ. They do. And this is how we know we're in him. This is how you and I know we're in Jesus. And yet, if you come to a statement that says, I've come to know him and yet I don't keep his commands. Look at this. John says, listen, um, I love you, but listen, you're a liar. And ultimately, the word of God, the truth actually isn't residing in you. Don't you love the bluntness of John? I told you, this is one where you love that it's there, but at the same time you look in the mirror and go, and then he says this, oh, I'm not done. John goes, I'm not done yet. Watch this. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we're in him. How do you know you're in Jesus? The one who says he's remains. Watch this. Walk just as he, Jesus, walked. How do you know? Because you walk as Jesus walked. I was talking to a group of pastors and we were talking about cannabis and how do we handle that cannabis? Because it just seems like it's, it's our moment right now. We're, we're really facing that. And it was interesting because I said, you know, I'll be honest as your pastor. I'm going to be totally honest. I do drive by cannabis shops and look for Radiant Life stickers. I do. Okay. It's a weird thing I do. I do. Why? I don't know. Pray for me. Okay. <laughs> I was talking to that group of pastors. I said, you know, if we're to walk, walk as Jesus walked, could we really sit in, a, in our churches and say, Jesus would walk into timber and walk out with a joint in his hand? The pastor like, absolutely, we would, we would not. Then let's start discipling our churches that way. Start discipling. Walk as Jesus walked. And we here as the church want to help everyone. Want to help everyone. Whatever the sin is that we all wrestle with, that the flesh seems to be winning, we as a church need each other. Discipling one another so we can have that private holiness in our lives. For Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's the pastor in Ephesus. And he writes the letter to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, and he tells him this. He's talking about God. He says, remember, God saved us and called us to a, what are those two words? A holy calling. God doesn't just save you from something. He saves you to something. And you have a calling on your life, Christian. You have a calling on your life, brother. You have a calling on your life, sister, to a holy living, a holy calling. William Barclay says this in his letters to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, his commentary, he says this. There should be an essential difference between Christians and non-Christians because Christians have obeyed the summons to walk the road to holiness. The psalmist says this, 
My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. We should be in a place where we say that's true. I shed streams of tears when I look out at the world and realize the public righteousness is not there. And I love this word that is beginning, you're gonna see this more and more, I think, in our faith. It's this buzzword right now to be a category-defying community. That that's what the body of Christ needs to be. Not out there with megaphones just shouting, but we need to know what we stand for. The world knows many times what we're against. How about the world start knowing what we're for? We're for the rescuing power of Jesus Christ to put you on a path of holiness because that path right there of holiness is the greatest walk and journey that God has created you to walk down. And we need it in the church today. In the ancient world, the New Testament church went up against the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire ended up in all the historians that looked at the early church that there were five categories that the church would not waver. It was a category-defying community that says, this is who we are. And these five, real quick, care for the poor, vulnerable, and infanticide. Infanticide was the idea of just throwing out um, your baby when you didn't want. You couldn't have an abortion in the ancient world uh, really healthily because your, your life would be at risk. What happens there is that, you, women, you would still have your child, but then throw it out. And it was the Christians who stood up and says, we'll take your kid. That was one category. The other one was inclusiveness of race, gender, and socioeconomic class that Jesus died for all, every race out there. They elevated the gender of of women. Women were just still viewed as property and they elevated womanhood, biblical womanhood. And they said, hey, it's for the rich and the poor. They, They were known to love the enemy. In a world of a Roman empire that controlled everything, that persecuted their enemies, the Christian church said, we love our enemies. We suffered without retaliation. Oh, isn't that hard? Come on, because you know what? We love justice in our own eyes and in our own timing. But they said they didn't do that. And not only that, they had sexual integrity within the church. We need each other. We need each other. That's what's leading to, in two weeks, we're going to go into a new series called We. We are Radiant Life. We are together. We're going to talk mission vision. We're going to talk about new things that God's doing. We're going to talk about a robust discipleship that is going to be existing in the church. We're going to talk about expansion and multiplying who we are. We are Radiant Life. God has given us a distinct vision and mission. We're here to live this out in this fellowship together. Together. Next week, communion and baptism and worship. It's going to be awesome. But two weeks we start. I want to show you two more slides. I really am going to be done this time. Karen, hang on with me. I just love teaching too much. I'm sorry. Okay. I really felt God, you guys are doing great team, by the way. I really felt God asked the question for the church at the close of the series. What area of your life will you not give him? Not me, but God. What area of your life will you not give God? Your sexuality, your own sin, this unawareness of, I don't understand the righteousness of God, but I understand that sometimes when I look in the mirror, I don't look like Jesus. And you just need to invite the Spirit of God to search me. What is it? 
Karen, will you go to the last slide of that build of the salvation equates to love? Just fast forward it. This is an incredible, incredible thing. Get this. The timeline begins over on this side, your left side. And at one point in your life, you enter salvation, which is you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So you have this progression and then you have that moment of salvation. And what happens in that moment is two growths begin to happen in your life. The first one is this idea of you understand a higher and higher knowledge of God's holiness and righteousness. That he is set apart. He is holy, holy. That there are angels around the throne room of God right now saying, holy, 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 24-7 in worship, falling on their face, covering their eyes. There's a holiness to this God. And in your moment of salvation, and as you walk with Christ, you'll understand there's this increasing knowledge of his holiness. But at the same time, there's an increasing knowledge of a deeper, deeper knowledge of our sinfulness. And as those two begin to grow in your life, you have a greater, greater appreciation for how big the cross actually is. And the result of understanding all is love. You will come on the other side of all this knowing the love of Christ is so big and you will love him back because worship is love expressed. It's there. This is why we come in and lift holy hands. This is why we come in and cry. This is why we come in and kneel because we realize that there's the love of Christ that covers all sins. And woe is me and holy is he. And we will magnify the Lord together. And it was Jesus Christ who bought us back with his love, with his body, with his blood. There is a way back and his name is Jesus. May we pursue private righteousness and holiness, but may we not only do half the gospel, May we go out there and say, world, Jesus loves you. He's here to restore you. Come to the altar. His love is chasing you down. This is who we need to be. To talk Jesus is to invite controversy. May we step into the controversy with grace and truth. Amen. Church family, will you please stand? We're going to close with the song and don't close because we're going to do something special. Or don't leave. Uh, Actually, worship team, I want you to close this, but all of us don't leave. Let's pray and we're going to sing about this love. Heavenly Father, deepen our awareness for righteousness. Deepen our own awareness of our own sinfulness. May we express love in ways we've never expressed before. Whether for some of us, we got to raise holy hands for the first time. For others, it's to come to the prayer team for the first time. For others, it's to kneel at the altar for the first time. May we worship you with everything we are. Give us the courage to go out and love the world well because Jesus, you died for all of them. They're all your image bearers, but help us to bring truth. Thank you for this reckless love that chases us down. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out theradiantlife.church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.